This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Second Peter chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there, uh, we'll be spending the majority of our time in that chapter this morning. We'll have the, the scriptures up here on the board as well. But uh, uh, he, Peter just goes over this and over it and over it again. And sometimes it seems a little redundant. I know that my teaching on it probably has times has seemed a little redundant. But as we begin this morning, I want you to consider something that Matthew said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He said, Beware of false prophets when come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. What does that picture mean to you? Can you see him? Kind of hard to see. But he's there. When you look at that picture, what do you think of? I think of deception. He's deceiving. He's out to deceive because he has something specific that he wants to accomplish. He wants lamb for supper. He doesn't care what the lambs might want. He doesn't care what the farmer who owns the lambs might want. He just wants lamb for supper. And that's all he thinks about and that's all he cares about. You know, that's kind of what we're dealing with when we talk about false teachers. As we sat here this morning in this audience, each and every one of us knows a particular teacher or preacher that is probably our favorite. Some of my favorites are in this audience this morning. Some of the favorite people I have to listen to are in this audience. But I want you to think a minute about your favorite. No matter who it is, uh, maybe they're not from here or wh wherever they might be. One of your favorite preachers that you love to listen to, that you think makes things so plain and simple to understand, some of the complicated things of the Bible seem so simple. When they preach, I want you to think about that person. How much faith do you have in them? I would assume a lot, and probably rightly so. But now I want you to think for a second that that person has all along been a false teacher. Oh, they're very eloquent. They're very easy to listen to. The words they use are so simple and easy to understand. But what if they taught false, false things, ungodly things? Would you know? Well, I assume you think you would. But would you? Would you know? What if that person, sometime in their life, all of a sudden something changed? Maybe they had an injury. Maybe something changed in their life, and slowly they begin to twist the Scriptures just a little bit to teach something that wasn't true anymore. Maybe it's just slow at first. Maybe it's just a little something, some, some hard-to-grasp concept of the Bible, and they twist it just a little bit. Would you know? 
Would you catch it immediately? Or would your trust in them carry you through to the point that they already had you fully in their grasp like the wolf before you even knew it? I think that's why Peter saw fit to spend so much time trying to teach us and the people he was writing to at that time about this problem. So this morning, we're going to get down to the nuts and bolts. How do these false teachers deceive us? How does that wolf get in the middle of a flock of sheep? How did he get there? Were they just not paying attention? Did he just look so much like one of them that they couldn't see it? How do false teachers deceive us? We'll go back and we, I want to recount just a little bit of, of what we've studied so far because it all has a bearing. <clears throat> but up to this point, just a recap of the things that we've considered, we, we firstly learned that uh, false teachers destroy. Their nature is destructiveness. <clears throat> In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says there, and they bring upon themselves swift destruction. So they destroy themselves. But also in verse 3 he says, with feigned words make merchandise of you. So they're not satisfied with just ruining their own spiritual life. They're after yours. Why? Well, maybe we'll find out a little bit this morning. We also learned in, in verse 9 that the Lord knoweth how to deliver godly out of the temptations and how to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. He knows how to do that. He knows how to accomplish both those things. We also learned the evil of false teachers. In verse 10, the Bible says that they're presumptuous, they're self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. You know, most of us, we don't like to speak evil of famous people or powerful people at least. People that have a lot of power, we, we don't want to speak evil of them. These false teachers are not afraid of that. They're not afraid to speak evil of God. They're not afraid to speak evil of godly principles. They're not afraid to speak evil of anyone who would teach godly principles. They're not afraid of that. Verse 12 says, they speak evil of things they do not understand. Now, do you want anyone teaching you something that they don't understand? In our schools, Brother Kenneth, do you want a teacher that teaches something that they do not understand? Of course not. You'd never do that. But that's what these people are. They teach things they do not understand. <clears throat> Verse uh, 13 says that they are spots. They are blemishes. Sporting themselves with their own deceiving. See, there's that deceit again. They feast on you. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and a heart that is exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Verse 15 says that they have forsaken the right way. They have gone astray. I want you to remember that. We're going to come back to that later on. But then in verse 17, Peter summarizes the whole thing. 
And he said, these are wells without water. Can you imagine being in a, a desert? You can't, you can't see anything but desert. And you're stranded there, and, and you've got to walk. And you're not sure how far you're going to have to walk. But it's hot, and it's dusty, and it's dirty, and there's just desert for miles. And you come over a hill, there's a, there's a water well down there, or what looks to be a water well. It's got bricks around it. It's got a bucket sitting on the side that you let down in the well and draw up some water. How excited are you? And you get there and you let the bucket down and thud. All it hits is dirt. Can you imagine the feeling that would give you? That's the feeling that these false teachers give you. It also says that they are clouds that are carried without, that are carried with a tempest. Now we know what that means. We've been very blessed here this, this spring and this summer with the rain we've had. So blessed. But if you think back even to last year, how dry it was. Matt calls it the Washtenaw split. You got the clouds coming, coming at us, big old black, beautiful looking rain cloud coming right at you and it splits. It goes around both sides. The wind blows, it just splits it apart. You get nothing. And you're sitting there with dry ground and you've saw all this promise and you get nothing. That's what Peter says these false prophets, these false teachers are. They promise so much and they deliver nothing. So, what do we say in the beginning? They're deceptive. And that deception becomes more apparent as we conclude chapter 2 here uh, in verses 18 through 22. They tell us the manner in which these false teachers are deceptive. The first thing they tell us is that they're deceptive in their methods. Well, what are you talking about methods? Well, what they use to deceive us. Which in the case of false prophets, if you ever notice, is their words. I mean, these, these people are good speakers. They make it sound good. And they use those words to deceive with. Peter said in verse 3 that with feigned words they make merchandise of you. You're not worth anything to them but profit. Whatever that profit might be, I don't know. But that's all you're worth to them is a way to make gain, a way to get gain. Many times it, it's just money. They tell you what you want, think you want to hear so you'll support them. He says in verse 18, oh, I'm sorry, I wanted, to, I wanted to include the New King James Version in this because it says by covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to exploit. They're using false words, lies. That's what it stems down to. They use lies as truth to try to get you to, to see what they want to see. Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity. What is that? 
That is eloquent speech, flowery speech. They're good talkers. They can make it sound so good, so impressive. They, can, they are so good at it that they can tell you lies, and it sounds to your ears like it's sound doctrine. These guys know what they're talking about. It's sound doctrine. That's how good at this they are. But there's no substance to it. You don't get any gain from it. In fact, you're harmed from it. The Bible tells us that they actually appeal to the flesh. Now, we know what that means. Most of us who are of any age already know that the things of this world, the sinful things, the things that cause you the most harm, the things that cause you the most trouble, the things that cause you most difficulty in your spiritual life are things of the flesh. That's what we want until we train ourselves not to want those things. So these, these deceiving teachers, they know this, and they promote those things. And their pull is through the lust of the flesh. You know there's a list in Galatians 5 beginning in verse 19. And that list says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are. Let's back up for just a second. Something we miss, something I miss. You ever notice that word right there? Now the works of the flesh are evident. You know what? We got no excuse for not seeing it. No excuse. They're evident. If we don't see it, we're not paying attention. They're these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. And by the way, I'm using the New King James Version again on this particular scripture because these words are a little, little more readily uh, understandable than some that the King James used. But uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like, or things like these, other things like these. There's your list. There's your list of the works of the flesh. Now, John was inspired to write in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, that love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Do you see the contrast between the two? John says that if you put the three columns up here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and then you listed all of those things in Galatians that we just read, they're going to fall in one of these three categories. And that's what false teachers use to appeal to you. <clears throat> that's what they're promoting for truth. Well, that's outrageous. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. It's also self-willed. <clears throat> it's what they want. And it's exactly what will entice unstable and unlearned souls. That's what will entice them. This shameless uh, promotion of fleshly appeals passes itself off as being godly, as being proper. 
And through those deceptive methods, Peter says that they draw those who have escaped that life back in. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness or much wickedness, those that were clean. They're clean. They had escaped from them who live in error. And they suck them back in. So this leads us to Peter's next point. They're deceptive in what they promise. The things that they promise are deceptive. They're not what we need. They're not what are good for you. Verse 19 says, While they promise them liberty, remember that word, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same he is brought in bondage. Now, the word liberty there is a little... A little used a little un, in an unusual way when it com, comes to false teachers. <clears throat> you know, we think of liberty, we think of freedom, and that's that's what it means. But when you think of it in terms of what God expects, freedom is freedom from sin. Liberty is freedom from sin. But when false teachers offer liberty, you know what they're offering? Freedom to sin. Freedom to get involved in sin. That's what they're offering. Just invite Jesus into your heart. Just just do that. And then live how you want to live. Enjoy the things you want to enjoy. Do what you want to do. Go where you want to go. And just love life. That's what they say. If you're addicted to sinful pleasures, it's okay. You've accepted Jesus. It's okay. So when you compare what they offer to what Jesus offers... They're offering you the liberty, the freedom to commit sin. Jesus is offering you the liberty, the freedom to be free from sin. To avoid sin. To not have to suffer the consequences of sin. So when you look at it like that, they fail miserably. As we've already seen, they make their allurements through the lust of the flesh there in verse 18. They allure through the lust of the flesh. That's that's the promise that they offer. So, it's interesting that they enslave or place in bondage through the very thing that they promise deliverance from. They say, I'm offering you freedom. What they're offering is bondage. They promise liberty, but they're slaves themselves. They're slaves of corruption. They're trying to promise you what they don't have. We've seen their corruption in verse 3. 
through covetousness, with feigned words, with false words, with lying words, they make merchandise of you. Verse 10 says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Also in verse 10 says, They despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. They speak of things they don't understand. They also will receive the reward of unrighteousness. As they that count it pleasure to write in the daytime. Have you ever thought about what their reward would be? Well, they, they like to write in the daytime. That's their reward. That's their reward. The ability to write. The ability to cause trouble. That's the reward they get. Is that the reward we want? I think we should want a, a very much more profitable reward. They have eyes that are full of adultery and cannot cease from sin. They have a heart that is exercised with covetous practices. They're cursed children. So these teachers who promise freedom are themselves slaves. As we go on to verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, For if they have escaped, and I want you to remember that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. If they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome the latter word. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness and after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. The state they find themselves in is worse than it was to start with. They're brought to bondage. The latter end is worse than the beginning. Would have been better if they'd never known the righteous way. So they're deceptive in both method, their words, and they're deceptive in the promise that they give. I think that's why Peter spent so much time on this topic. I think he was trying to drill it into people that this was a problem and it was going to be a problem throughout the ages. So he warned them. And he warns us today. And he continues to warn us. So before concluding our study of the morning, I think it would be interesting to try to answer a couple of questions that have been asked, I guess, since time began. Especially uh, more recently, these questions are asked uh, much more often than ever before. And there are questions that arise after studying Peter's words on false teachers. The first one is, were these false teachers once truly Christians? Well, no, of course not. Well, let's look. Peter said by their words and their actions, they were. He said, even denying the Lord that bought them. The Lord bought them. Peter said they were bought. Now, Peter also wrote in his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, 
For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. Apparently, so were they. That's what the scripture says. Apparently, they were too. So these souls were at one time individuals who were purchased by the blood of Christ. But verse 15 says that they have forsaken the right way. They've gone astray. They were at one time right in their words and in their deeds, but not anymore. You know, have you ever thought about the fact that it's impossible to forsake something that you never had? You can't do it. If you never had it, you can't forsake it. It's impossible to go astray if you were always lost. You can't go astray if you were always lost. So they weren't always lost. Notice, I want you to notice in verse 20 how they, uh, what they escaped and how they escaped it. For if, to, if after they have escaped the pollution of the world, what they escaped? The pollutions of the world. That's what they escaped from. How'd they do it? Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's how they escaped. Now this knowledge includes a lot of things. Peter enumerated many of those things in 1 Peter 5 and 8. He talks about knowledge. But he says to faith that we need to add virtue. We need to add knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. He said all these things. Culminates in verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And these people had that knowledge. But they let it get away. They let it get away. Instead of having what we refer to as these Christian graces, They had the true proverb. And I highlighted the word true proverb because I want to talk about that in a second. But it is happening to them according to the true proverb. The dog is returned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. A disgusting portrayal of the end of these people. They're like the dog. But he got rid of what was bothering him. He got rid of it. And then he went back to it. The sow, who was muddy and dirty all over, was washed clean. And she went back to the mud hole. Now, some say that this proverb reveals that these people were always... Dogs and hogs, they they never changed. And uh, that explains why they returned to the filth. But it says it's the true proverb. The true proverb. I don't believe that that thought, that idea, is in keeping with the true proverb. 
Again, the dog had gotten rid of what made him sick. He got rid of it. It wasn't a problem anymore. And he goes back to it. The sow was not just didn't think she was she didn't think she was clean. She was clean. It wasn't just a thought process. She was literally clean. And she went back to the mud hole. So the thought that they were never true Christians is not in keeping with the true proverb. And this leads to another question. Can Christians today be lost again? We, we hear that question discussed all the time. Many don't think so. Many don't think it's possible. I ask you, if it's not possible, why were they lost again? The true proverb. Peter said that they brought upon themselves swift destruction. They brought upon themselves. He says, for a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not sleep. He also said, to whom the gloom of darkness is reserved forever. So, if these false teachers were Christians and they turn away, they lost it, why can't we today? Why is that not a possibility? But some say no. Just because false teachers in that day fall away or turned away doesn't mean that ordinary Christians today can. So let's, let's just think about that for a moment. Why would Peter say, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, or wickedness, those that were clean, people that were clean, people that had escaped the pollutions of the world. They're alluring these people. They're enticing these people. They've escaped from those who live in error. Even though they've escaped, these false teachers are still enticing them. Why would Peter tell us that if it can't happen? He warned us over and over again. Even beyond that, why the concluding warning of Peter in this epistle, if it's impossible for Christians to fall away? Chapter 3, verse 17. Yet therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before. You know it. You knew it then, you know it now. Seeing ye know these things before, beware lest also being led away with the error of the wicked, Fall from your own steadfastness. Why would Peter give us that warning if it's not possible? The Bible warns us over and over again that it is possible. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now listen, in departing from the living God. What does an evil heart of unbelief cause? It causes you to depart from the living living God it's not God's choice not what he wanted 
But because you had an evil heart, you developed an evil heart again, you departed from the living God. You know what? The word of God does not profit everybody. What? I said what I said. The word of God does not profit everybody. Now, some of you that have a soft heart and are very kind may say, well, I don't know about that. I think the word of God is always profitable. Hebrews 4 and 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word, of, but the word preached did not profit them. They weren't profited. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So just because we hear the word of God doesn't mean it profits us. We have to do the word. We have to follow the word. We have to live the word in order for it to profit us. There's a very real possibility of losing one's salvation. <clears throat> and it helps us to understand the concern that Peter had as he was expressing these words to those people in that day and to us now. We can't just stand by idly. We have to be proactive in our desire not to be led away by those who would teach error. Peter came to two conclusions. There were two things that he knew. One was that Christians can fall from steadfastness. He figured that out. And he wanted others to understand it. And he knew that Christians can be led away. You may think, well, that's someone else's fault. If we're led away, the responsibility is on us. We're responsible. That's why I said in the beginning to think about your favorite preacher. Because no matter who that is, you know the old saying, trust but verify. Trust but verify. No matter who it is, no matter what they're teaching you, verify that it's the true words of God. <clears throat> so Peter took a lot of time and effort in describing false teachers. He described the way they lost their salvation. He described them to others. He described the words that they use. He described the methods and the, and the promises that they make. But hopefully we can remember all of these things put together. Remember that they're destructive. They're not looking out for us. They destroy. They're after what they can get. We notice their e evil, the evil nature of them. What they try to do. We notice the end of them to come. Their doom. Their destiny. They have, they have no good outlook. And today we learned of their methods and their promises. But false teachers are not the only ones that are our concern. And we'll be studying that in, in the next study a little bit. But if you're here this morning and you've been led astray... You can always come back to God. Recognizing that you've been led astray and turning back to the truth is the way you get out of that. You don't have to stay in that situation. Just because you've been led astray doesn't mean you have to stay in that situation. You can be right with God before you leave here this morning.
If you're here this morning and you've not been baptized, become a child of God. I hope you now understand that not everyone is looking out for your best interest. It's up to you to be obedient to God in baptism, to begin your walk as a child of God, to begin the effort that you have to put out to study and learn what God expects of you and how he expects you to live and to turn away from the world. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.